Hey, this is Dan Wonderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. My guest today is A.J. Thomas. He's the founder and director of the Joyful Giving Group, and A.J.'s here to talk with us today about cultivating a culture of generosity in your church. Well, my guest today is A.J. Thomas. He's the founder and director of the Joyful Giving Group. A.J., thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, glad to be with you. AJ is a friend of mine that I met earlier this year at a retreat for people who were working on preaching. And one of the fun things is that uh, when we came together for this reunion of this preaching program, neither AJ nor I were still in day-to-day church ministry. Uh, We weren't preaching regular sermons anymore. Uh, We're both what's known in the Methodist Church as extension ministers, which means we do our work outside of any one church so that we can resource and train and help a bunch of churches. Uh, So AJ, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as your unique ministry and its context. Yeah, so uh, so like you mentioned, I am a pastor. Um, I work outside the church, work in extension ministry, and my ministry is called Joyful Giving Group, um, and I work with uh, training churches around stewardship, faith and generosity, capital campaigns, those kinds of things. Basically, if it has anything to do with church and money, I'm, I'm kind of your guy to uh, talk to about that. So that's that's what I do. Wow. So you you jump, and we'll we'll get to this in a second, but uh, you have based your day-to-day ministry around a topic that a lot of us don't like to talk about, but we'll get there. Uh, Let's start with our first general question that we ask all of our guests. What are are your philosophies or approaches to preaching uh, in general? If you had a mission statement or a guiding principle for your work, what might it be? I really try to be a one-point preacher. If I can say one thing and say it well, uh, say it in a compelling and inspirational way, and you as a listener actually remember it and take it home, uh, then I think it's been a pretty good day. Uh, I'd much rather make one point that you can remember than make a whole bunch of points you'll lose before you get to the car. So as much as possible, I try to be a one-point preacher. There you go. So one point and not even a poem. So, you know, normally it's three points in a poem. You're one point, no poem. One point, no poem, go home. Yep. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll bet that gets your folks uh, uh, to lunch earlier, and uh, maybe they beat the rush of all the other churches waiting at the restaurant. So th- they, I'm sure they appreciate that. They remember it, and they get all the best tables. So interestingly, in one of the churches I served uh, on the last Sunday that I was there, you know, they were recognizing when I was leaving, and they uh, they presented me with the best um, out before noon preacher they had ever had, <laughs> and uh, that that is obviously how they remember me is I got them out before noon. So. There you go. That's so great. That's so great. Uh, okay, so money. This is one of those topics that most pastors would rather not talk about. Uh, some of us actually really hate talking about it. It makes us really uncomfortable, but as we've talked about, you have based your entire current ministry a- around it. And so why why is money so important in general, and why are you so passionate about it? I think money is a deeply spiritual issue. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. And you know, you think of, like, what's the heart? Well, it's it's the center, right? It's your core. It's where you hold all the things that are important to you, your values, your priorities, your commitment. And I think that nothing is more indicative of our day-to-day priorities than what we do with our money. Mm. How we make it, how we spend it, how we save it, how we give it, all of that is an indicator of what we value the most, what our priorities actually are. Uh, in other words, what's going on in our hearts. Uh, and Jesus said, you know, uh, that he's interested in our hearts. He's interested in what's going on um, in terms of our priorities. Sometimes I, I hear pastors brag um, that they don't talk about money, uh, or they've arrived at a new church and they're told not to teach about money, something along the lines of, uh, preacher, you worry about the spiritual stuff, and you let us worry about the money. <laughs> yeah. And, and to me, that just kind of misses the whole point, because money is part of the spiritual stuff. 
Mm. Why do you think there's such a big disconnect or why do you think that's such a a, a radical departure from the way? Because we interact with money pretty much every day, whether we're purchasing something or we're just living in a house that that we've paid for or are paying for or a house or an apartment we're renting. We interact with money all the time. We also know that we're supposed to be living spiritual lives. Where, Where do you think the disconnect comes from? I think some of it's just our our cultural taboo and the way that we've been conditioned that you know that money is a is a forbidden topic um, or you know you don't it's 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 on that list of things you don't talk about in polite company mm. and so you know we we kind of approach money with a lot of secrecy a lot of guardedness I think you know maybe some shame maybe some guilt um, around around our relationship with money. Um, you know, if we're if we're carrying debt or we're not giving like we think we should be, or you know we're living above our means or trying to keep up with the Joneses or whatever mm-hmm. it is, but I think there's just sort of a lot of um, mixed emotions that we have when it comes to thinking about our money. So, you know, better to kind of put those on the shelf than not deal with those. Sometimes I think that's a little more comfortable for people. Yeah, and and as you've worked with pastors and ministries about. M- the topics of giving and stewardship and raising funds and capital campaigns and things, the the pastors you've interacted with that are hesitant or uncomfortable talking about money, do you think that's based out of their own discomfort with money? Do you think it's based out of their fear that it will discomfort their congregation or a mix of all of that? I think it's a little bit of all of that. You know, talking with pastors around stewardship, say, and, you know, and so they, you know, they know the concept of tithing. They know, 10%, like they, they get that, they understand that, they believe in it. They may or may not be practicing it in their own life for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And so I think they have a lot of guilt around that and, and sort of a, well, you know, how can I talk about that when I'm not doing that myself? And, and there's, you know, and I think there's some, there's some validity to that. Obviously, it's hard to lead from a place that we're not ourselves. At the same time, I think when you can be honest about that and say, here's where I am and I'm struggling with that or I'm working on that or I'm growing in this area you know, I think that kind of, that's liberating for your people as well. Um, one of the other places I think where kind of the opposite side of that is maybe where a pastor is practicing generosity and, you know, they really are living into that and recognizing that maybe a lot of the people in their church aren't there. And so almost the, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to make people uncomfortable or they don't want to make people feel bad or they don't want to look like they're bragging about themselves in terms of, mm. you know, talking about their own practice of giving and so they shy away from it because um, they don't want, you know, the perception to be, well, look, look at me, look at, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm good and spiritual and godly. And you all need to be like me. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it comes from both sides of it, where um, they have either a little guilt for themselves or are worried about um, imposing guilt on the people that they minister to. I, yeah, I totally get that. And, and what's so strange or not strange, I mean, it's totally normal and totally common, but you think about it, for pastors that have to to get a seminary education in order to be ordained or appointed to a church, oftentimes these folks are carrying a large amount of educational debt, and so they struggle themselves with you know, tithing uh, or or giving of any kind because they, they see their own amount that they owe to other people, and 
and then the folks in their congregation may be carrying some other kind of debt. It may be educational debt or it could be a mortgage or a car payment or credit card debt or something. And we're all struggling with the same thing, but yet nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah, so the taboo just you know keeps keeps cycling around because yeah. nobody wants to talk about it. Was there ever a time in your ministry where you were hesitant to talk about money, and if so, what changed? Or if not, where do you think your comfort uh, and courage uh, as in this topic area came from? So my first appointment uh, was as an associate pastor in a large church in the North Carolina mountains, and the church was filled with active retirees who had intentionally retired there because of the scenery and lifestyle. So, you know, it was a mix of folks who were who were native to the area, but also a lot of folks who, like, had the means and intentionally chose to live there. And a number of those folks also had a primary residence in Florida where they would spend the winter, and then they were thus for the warmer months. And, like, a lot of these people had done really, really well in life. And here I was, 25 years old, uh, making an entry-level <laughs> associate pastor salary, a little intimidated by some of the wealth around me yeah. and not really sure how I could speak anything of value into their lives when it came to faith and generosity. Um, but as I got to know these folks and, um, you know, in, in the pastoral relationships, just kind of discovered they're people just like everybody else. And they had the same concerns about their families and paying their bills, uh, not outliving their money, about faith, giving, all the same kind of concerns. Um, the only thing that was different was scale. Mm. Their conversation was happening on a different scale than maybe it was happening with me, but it was the same general kinds of issues. So something I had to realize pretty quickly was that the principles that guided my relationship with money and my faith in giving also applied with them. And I think seeing them as people with the same kind of concerns um, just kind of helped me see that, hey, we're, on, we're all on the same, the same playing field here. Well, what misconceptions do you think we have when it comes to talking about uh, and, and thinking about stewardship? I think the first mistake we make is kind of what we've already mentioned, that we don't talk about it. We shy away from it. We think money is taboo. Or, or we assume that people just know what they're supposed to do with their money. That, oh, well, you, you know, you've been in the church your entire life, so you, you, surely you must tithe or you must know what tithing is. I found that people really want biblical, faith-based guidance on what to do with their money but sometimes they don't get it because their pastor or their Sunday school teacher or their small group leader just doesn't offer it. I really believe that people want to be generous. I believe that people want to help. They want to do the right thing with their money, but they need a little guidance in doing that. I think the second thing that we do is we, we talk about giving to the church rather than talk about giving to God. Mm. We approach stewardship like it's a fundraising strategy for the church rather than about our relationship with God. And, you know, we don't give to the church, we give to God through the church. And I think that's, we, we miss that sometimes. I know like in our house, we don't give because the church needs money. We give because we're made in the image of a generous God. So we don't give because the church has bills to pay. Uh, we've made our, our commitment to give irrespective of the church's budget. And I know in our house, we're going to give the same amount, whether the church is way ahead of budget or way behind budget. So I think that's, you know, that's, that's often the I think the biggest mistake is we talk about giving to the church rather than giving to God through the church, uh, and we make giving about the church's bills and the church's need for funds, not um, what it means to be people who are made in the image of a generous God and growing in our capacity to be generous as God is generous. 
Yeah, I think that I think that's so true and that's so spot on. I mean, I can recall so many Octobers when the finance chair would get up and show, you know, like how far behind the church was or they would have some kind of, you know, thermometer. And it's like, if we don't get this up to this point, like things are going to get really bad. And there's, you know, sort of this like you got to just help us keep the lights on, help us keep the bills paid. And those are legitimate concerns. But but again, like we don't keep the lights on just to keep the lights on. Uh, We focus on mission. Are there any perspectives or approaches or tools that like like that or presentations like that that you see a lot of churches using, but it might actually be hurting the cause more than helping the cause? Yeah, I've seen um, kind of what you're talking about, the uh, kind of a fear-based or, you know, hey, if y'all don't pay up, we're, you know, we're going to make some changes around here. So I'm like, I'm kind of a, a perpetual guest visiting preacher. So in particular during stewardship season, like I'm in a different church every Sunday. And so I kind of get to see some of the best and worst of approaches that the churches have taken with that. One that was particularly memorable was, uh, you know, the guy from the finance committee got up to, to do, do the stewardship moment and he had him turn off all the lights in the sanctuary. <laughs> and, and he just started with, if y'all don't pay up, it could happen. Oh, and I'm sitting there like with a sermon that's basically about, we don't give to pay the bills. And like, this is the guy that's setting me up of, Hey, y'all need to give so that we can pay the bills. And um, yeah, so I've seen that. Um, I've seen them hand out copies of the budget on Stewardship Sunday, and I think and, and and it's an attempt at transparency and where the money is spent. Which I mean, and that's good. Like you need to show people where the money's going. But the the appeal for giving was solely tied to the church's bills. I've also seen where they'll take the church budget and divide by the number of households mm-hmm. in the church. And kind of say, you know, hey, everyone, this this is your household's fair share of the budget. Um, you know, if every if every household gives four thousand dollars, then then we're good. And the reality is, there are some households that probably need to be giving far more than four thousand dollars, and there are some households that that have no business giving that kind of money. Yeah. Um, so it's not about fair share. It's you know, we each have different means, uh, but we need to give according to our means, not take the budget and divide by number of households. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you, have you ever seen any pastors or ministries sort of uh, misuse the spiritual side of it, too? Because there's that whole, you know, like, I've, I've heard pastors say, and I think they mean it well-meaning, but they're like, you know, a tie, that's supposed to be the starting point. Like, that's the minimum that God desires, and, and the measure that you give is the measure of your faith, and if you really trusted God, you'd give more, and they sort of use the spiritual approach as as a, a, a weapon or, you know, a whip or or in a manipulative way. Yeah, it's like um, spiritual bullying. Like, if you're a real Christian, if your if your faith is real, if it's genuine, well, then of course you would want to give above and beyond, and sort of a it, well, really just kind of guilting people into it. Of you know, what kind of what kind of Christian do you call yourself if you don't even don't mm-hmm. even do this? And, and and I you know, and I think giving beyond the tithe, I think that is a biblical concept that we can stretch and grow beyond giving a tithe. Um, but we don't do it because we got browbeat. We don't do it out of guilt. We don't do it out of obligation. We, we do that because we genuinely want to give at that level. Um, again, God's generosity is limitless, and we are made in the image of God. And so, so I think when we're striving to give in the same way that God gives, um, over time we will naturally do that. We will, we will move beyond um, maybe the minimum or an expectation um, and we'll do that freely and we'll do that joyfully, but 
that that's kind of a spiritual issue that we and God work out kind of in God's time. Mm. Um, not something that people need to be guilted into. That's so true. That's so true. Well, this episode is going to come out uh, toward the end of September, and October is traditionally a stewardship month for churches. And so if there are any pastors or finance directors or lay leaders out there listening to this podcast who are a week or a week and a half away from Stewardship Sunday, it's probably too late to rewrite all of the messages or redo the whole approach. But if you had to give like a pep talk or some words of encouragement for someone who is heading into stewardship season, why don't you give us your best, like Coach Taylor, Friday Night Lights, pump up speech for stewardship season? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The first would be that stewardship, is, it's not a season. Stewardship is a lifestyle, and it's year-round. So uh, there's no rule that says you have to talk about stewardship uh, in the month of October and conclude with one Sunday uh, in which you ask everyone to make their commitments. So stewardship isn't a season. It's a lifestyle. Um, so you, you, you can talk about stewardship and inviting people to be generous year-round. I think the second thing is that the greatest asset you've got when it comes to talking about faith and generosity is your own story. So I'd say spend a little time uncovering your story, putting together your own relationship with money and your story of giving, and don't clean it up. Uh, keep the messy parts in, the parts where you're struggling, the parts where you've grown, the parts where you're still trying to work on things because more than likely people in your congregation are dealing with the same issues. And so know your story, um, own it, be willing to share it with your congregation, not in a um, look at me sort of way, but in a, uh, a sense that this is testimony of what God's doing in my life as I'm growing in my capacity to give, uh, doing it in such a way that you're inviting people to experience in a similar way that you have. That's great. Well, you um, you mentioned there uh, the the practice of of pledges and commitments, and we had a conversation earlier um, off air about your unique perspective and approach on pledges and and financial planning in the church. Can you share with us your perspective on uh, on this very important part of church life? So this is uh, this is what I've come to over time, and a little trial and error, and a little experience with it. Um, but I've kind of come to the point with pledge cards or commitment cards or estimate of giving cards or whatever you want to call them, that they need to be as absolutely simple as possible. Uh, you know, I kind of went through a phase where um, almost sort of sort of like you're putting it out in front of people, almost like it was a contract, like, hey, this is like, you know, the browbeating that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, put, put your name on this and, and, hey, you took membership vows. And, and when you took those vows, you promised you were going to do this. So, you know, step up, time for you to do it. And um, just wasn't effective at all. So kind of where I've come to with pledges at this point is there is only one piece of information that needs to go on a pledge card, uh, and that is the percentage of a person's income that they're going to commit to giving to God through the church. What I like about that is um, it, it allows people of different means to make the same commitment, so to speak. Um, mm. If you've got a person who makes Twenty thousand a year, and they give ten percent. They can make a commitment that has the same value as a person who makes two hundred thousand a year and also gives ten percent. Yeah. So it's not about the amount of their gift or the size of their gift, but it's about you know their their commitment as a percentage of their income. You've also got a lot of people in your church who can't necessarily commit to a firm dollar amount. Um, you know, you've got people who. Um, 
their income is variable, their income is seasonal. Maybe it depends on, you know, how the how the crop performs this year. They work on sales, they work on commission, they work hourly. Um, they, they don't know what they're going to make uh, in, a, in a given year. So it's really hard for them to commit to a dollar amount, but it's really easy for them to commit to a percentage. So whatever comes in, they know that they'll give that percentage of it. Generally speaking, church leaders who invite their congregations to express their giving as a percentage of income are far more effective in leading their congregations to grow in generosity than those that just ask people to commit in terms of a dollar amount. Mm. Often when we commit to a dollar amount, um, you, you may see yourself, you know, we are, we are $20 a week givers, uh, and you've been $20 a week givers for 30 years. <laughs> and so, you know, the $20 a week that you gave 30 years ago doesn't have the same value right. <laughs> as $20 a week does today. Um, and your income may be vastly different now than it was 30 years ago. Um, but you've kind of pegged yourself, you know, we're $20 a week givers. Back with this idea with the pledge cards and just filling out the percentage, um, I think you don't even put your name on it. You know, if you get to that commitment Sunday, you just invite people to put that percentage on their card. Don't put their name on it. Uh, drop it in an envelope and then sign their name across the seal on the envelope. I think bringing them up to the altar is a just it's an important act of worship uh, just to say this is a commitment I'm making um, and I'm not making it individually but I'm joining this commitment with the rest of the congregation together but no one in the finance office needs to look at the cards no one needs to open up the envelopes no one needs to record the commitments I think uh, all you do is you record who has turned one in so that the office can send out thank you notes to everybody for making a commitment, mm. regardless of what their commitment was. And then you return the cards to people in the envelope with their signature still intact. Uh, and you trust that people are adults, and if they've made a commitment, they're capable of following through on it. And and you recommend sending it back to them later on in the year? I, I, I say send it back to them um, as soon as possible, probably within two weeks. Okay. So, yeah, so you have, you know, you've got commitment Sunday, uh, that week, the church office records who, is, who has turned one in, again, primarily so you can send them a thank you. And then as soon as you've done that, y- you drop those envelopes back in the mail or you know, have them a stack in the back of the church, and people can, can pick them up or, or receive them in the mail mm. so they can be reminded what commitment it is that they made. In that discussion we had, you mentioned how even when people are turning in dollar amounts, that's not terribly helpful for financial planning for the church. It tends not to end up being all that accurate. And so most churches are making their financial plan based on historical giving uh, rather than the results of the pledge drive. Is that, is that pretty much spot on? Yeah, that's very spot on. The, um, I think the best indicator of next year's income is this year's income. Uh, so, you know, generally assuming people are going to give at, at a comparable level, um, they may give more, but, you know, probably as a base, they're going to give at a comparable level level to what they're already giving. And, you know, I don't know of a single church that pledges 100% of its budget. Mm. So there's already a gap between what they're getting in pledges and what they anticipate is going to come in in the coming year. When you've got that list of who's turned in a pledge card, you do have some giving history on those folks. So I mm-hmm. think your financial secretary can kind of look at who's turned in a card and you, you I mean, you kind of know yeah. <laughs> the level that, that those folks give at. So you can make some projections around the budget, but in terms of inviting people to give 
you've kind of taken away that you're giving to support the budget and you're able to put it in more of those spiritual terms that we were talking about. Um, that again, we don't pledge so that we can make budget. We pledge as a commitment as part of our giving. Um, and then the church has to have, have some faith as well, uh, that the resources are going to come in to meet the needs. So, you know, giving, giving is a faith-based thing, both for the individual it's also a faith-based thing for the church as an organization. Yeah, absolutely. And let me ask you this. Uh, this was not in the questions that I sent over to you ahead of time, and so this may be a little putting you on the spot, but I've seen lots of fiery debate online about whether a pastor should know the giving level of individuals and families in their congregation. And so I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Or if it's not knowing the specific level, I've also seen recommendations that maybe the pastor doesn't know the specific level, uh, but that the pastor should be notified of any giving change either up or down, because sometimes the, the financial giving is sort of a symptom of a bigger thing, like, you know, someone's going through a crisis or they're considering leaving the church, uh, or they've had an incredible blessing in their life that we need to be able to, to help them with and celebrate as well. So what's your perspective on the pastor knowing uh, giving levels in the church? I think the pastor should have access to the information in some capacity. I don't think that necessarily needs to be, you know, the pastor sees the the weekly giving report in terms of, you know, who gave what. But I think the pastor should have a general sense of people's level of financial investment in the ministry of the church. Mm. Um, I think that's important, like when you get to um, nomination season and you're trying to look at leadership in the church. um, I want to know that uh, people who are going into leadership are people who've expressed um, a personal level of investment in the ministry of the church. So does, does that mean, you know, is there a certain giving threshold? Not necessarily, but but they've demonstrated, hey, we're in this. Like, we're, we're invested. We're part of this. Yeah. Yeah. If your financial chair is giving nothing, that's that's an issue. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I, I can't put a person in, in, in treasurer who, who's not a giver. Like, you need to... <laughs> You need to be doing something with your own finances if you want to have a say in what the church is doing with its finances. I, I think the pastoral care issue that you mentioned is also a concern. You know, if you've got someone who's been giving at a very you know consistent level and all of a sudden that drops off, um, is there something going on in their life? Are they you know did they have a medical problem or some kind of a family crisis that maybe you wouldn't know about, but that was the only indicator that you had? Um, or are they unhappy about something? Do they need you know? Do, they have a concern with something at the church, maybe something that needs to be resolved that, again, you wouldn't know about otherwise. So I think it can open the door for some conversation with folks just about what's happening in their lives. Um, You know, do I think, again, I don't think the pastor necessarily needs to know particular amounts or week to week what people are giving, but I think it's a good idea to have a sense of who's invested financially, you know, who's kind of demonstrated that. Um, I also think if you've got a family who contributes more than 5% of your budget, you probably need to know that. Yeah. Just in the event that that family dies or they move or they have, you know, if they have a, a crisis in their family and they're not going to be able to give at the same level, just from an operational standpoint, you need to know anybody who's giving at that level that if, if you end up losing that family, um, kind of what that's going to do 
to your overall giving. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we focus mostly on stewardship season because that's something that uh, most of us experience or, or the stewardship lifestyle, generosity in general. Uh, but the Joyful Giving Group covers all sorts of different areas. So if there are folks out there that might want to work with you, uh, what areas are you available to help churches and ministries with? So I help with stewardship education. I help with uh, training uh, and resourcing church leaders in terms of best stewardship practices. I'm available for capital campaigns and feasibility studies related to capital campaigns. You know, troubleshooting, uh, if you've got a particular financial issue that you're trying to work through in church, yeah, I can help you with that. And uh, kind of have, a, I think, a, a particular niche among maybe small and medium-sized churches that may not have the staff um, or some of the other resources to, um, to do some things that larger churches can do or that may fall below the radar uh, of what some, you know, some of the large consulting firms would be willing to work with. So I think particularly for small and medium-sized member churches, um, I've got a niche there. That's great. And where can people find more information about Joyful Giving Group? They can go to the Joyful Giving Group website, which is www.joyfulgivinggroup.com. Awesome. Well, we have a set of questions that we ask all of our guests, and the first one is, what is one of your favorite and or most challenging preaching experiences? Uh, Probably most challenging, uh, when I was serving as pastor at a local church, preaching the day after a 16-year-old in the congregation uh, took his own life in his grandparents' house, Mm. uh, who were also members of the church. Wow. Yeah, so kind of chucked the sermon that I had prepared, and and we, we just sort of grieved and worked through some of what we were feeling that day. It was hard, but I think it was what was necessary. Yeah. Well, do you prefer preaching Christmas Eve or Easter? I will take Christmas Eve any day. Um, (laughs) And I know um, so many of my colleagues will literally crucify me for that because Easter is the central story to the faith, right? But I think Christmas Eve, people will show up on Christmas Eve who would never otherwise darken the door of the church. And, and, and they're open, like they've shown up, they are seeking something spiritual, they're seeking something bigger than themselves. And so you've got a real opportunity to connect the story of the gospel and what God is doing, literally coming into the world with people who may otherwise never have the chance to hear that story. I know we still see big crowds on Easter, um, but I think uh, Christmas Eve is just a place where people come with a sense of expectation that you can really, it, it's a real opportunity to to tell them what God's doing in the world. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a Christmas Eve guy as well, and it's actually been fairly uh, evenly split since I've started asking that question. So you can take some of the pressure off yourself. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Who have been some of the most impactful preachers or non-preacher communicators in your life and why? I had a uh, professor in college who uh, he was a communication professor, and he had um, just advice for, actually for the people in the room who were going to be going into ministry, and that was to uh, basically throw away your, you know, at, at that time, your book of sermon illustrations and speak from your heart and speak from your own life about what God was doing in your life. And so whenever possible, um, I mean, I still keep that in the back of my mind to kind of steer away from sort of the canned um, sermon illustrations toward things where how the gospel's impacted my life or the lives of people I know or people in the congregation or, or you know, things that are a little closer to home and I, I think a little more real. Mm. 
Well, what uh, books or other resources might you recommend our audience check out? Uh, one great little book. Uh, it's a Henry Nowen book, and it's a spirituality of fundraising is the name of the book. It's a tiny little book, um, but for people who are really trying to explore um, the relationship between faith and generosity and in an easy, concise way, uh, a Spirituality of Fundraising by Henry Nowen. It's a great little book. It is a great little book, and it's such a great little book that I loaned it to someone and never got it back. <laughs> so I think it's getting passed around. Uh, where, where can folks get in touch if they want to say hi or have any questions? best way to reach me is, uh, again, go to the Joyful Giving Group website, which is joyfulgivinggroup.com, and um, you can find my email address there and uh, connect with me that way. And um, that's the best way to reach me. Awesome. Well, AJ, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and all the advice you gave us today. Thanks. Glad to be with you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.